0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome into to the point. We all had a great weekend. We are here live on Monday, November 27th. It is the last week of November, if you can believe it, less than a month until Christmas, less than a month until the World Junior Hockey Championships get going over in Sweden. So we're on the home stretch of 2023. Still a lot to happen before the year is done. So many big, important events, big games. NFL, college football. It's just a lot happening. So, today we're going to talk some hockey. Watched quite a bit of it this weekend. Some great games on Black Friday. Saw the Maple Leafs drop a couple over the weekend. We see the Oilers start to turn things around a little bit. We'll get into that. The red hot New York Rangers which is, is still a stunner the way they're playing. They're playing better than Vegas. When they've have they are having a better start to the season than the Vegas Golden Knights who have kind of I wouldn't say are struggling, but they they've hit a ditch a little bit. They've hit their first rut of the season. Canucks splits. We got we got some stuff to talk about in the NHL world also. There's the whole Patrick Kane of it all. Where does he end up? I have my thoughts and I'll tell you later on in the show where I think he will be uh when he signs with uh, with this respective team. College football, what a weekend. It looked like a dud on paper. Rivalry weekend, the one big Ohio State-Michigan game, was not. Some crazy results. Number of overtime games came out of the wire. An, an incredible play during Alabama and Auburn during the Iron Bowl. So get ready for that. But it's Monday, and we're starting with the NFL. And the NFL's been a weird season. There's a lot of teams that aren't very good. Patriots come to mind. They're that Giants Patriots game yesterday. Oddly enough, I watched quite a bit of it. And it was almost worse than Jets Giants. It was it was really an offense to football. And it was the best Patriots loss in probably two decades. so their fan base should be thrilled today with that with that result. Those teams are, are terrible. The Cardinals aren't very good. We look across the NFL, it's five and six, six and five. That's where everybody lives because despite the fact that there's not a lot of great teams and there's a lot of teams that are just you don't know what you're going to get week in, week out. What makes the Philadelphia Eagles so impressive is there's all there's all this parity. A loss can happen at any time. And yet despite all that, they are 10 and 1 for the second straight season. They find ways to win games. And that is a skill in and of itself because there are teams that find ways to lose games Chargers come to mind (laughs) their opponents yesterday the Buffalo Bills could teach a master class in how to lose football games in the regular season Jalen Hurts has lost three starts in his professional career all he does is win He's the better version of Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's what they used to say about porn star Jimmy. The Buffalo Bills should have lost to the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday, but they didn't. Spike getting out gained and Hurts not playing all that well and A.J. Brown hardly being involved in the offense. They won the game. Short week. You have to go play the Buffalo Bills, who are coming off a huge win. Okay, you beat the Jets, but hey, fired their offensive coordinator, they're playing better. And we get to this we get to this game. And the Bills should have won. They had a ten point halftime lead, just like Kansas City had on Monday, oddly enough. And the Eagles find a way to win. Eagles turned the ball over twice in the first half. I thought Josh Allen had his best game of the season. You might look at that, we'll talk about that Gabe Davis play that would have sealed the game. But I thought he was great. He made good decisions. They ran the football. Joe Brady looks like a pretty good offensive coordinator. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles just have that thing about them where you need a drive, you need a touchdown to tie it up, you do it. Eagles have the ball late. And they've had trouble moving the ball all game, but Jalen Hurts does have three touchdown passes, including an incredible touchdown in the back of the end zone to Zacchaeus that was very Jalen Milrow, Isaiah Bond-esque From Saturday in college football. Makes that big throw, but you're down three because the Bills answered themselves with a beautiful touchdown drive from Josh Allen. Who ran the ball effectively. Did throw one bad interception, but he's going to do that once a game. You expect that. But he's finding Gabe Davis. They're using the running game to their advantage. Moving that Eagles defensive line just like the Chiefs did on Monday. And Hurts knows he needs at least a field goal to push it to overtime. He hits Devontae Smith over the top. Then he hits A.J. Brown underneath. But they take a penalty. It's a 4th and 17 They're not getting much yardage just when they drop back the entire day because Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver were having a day for the Buffalo Bills. And on 4th and 17, they could go for it or kick a 59-yard field goal. In the rain at Lincoln Financial. With the pressure of having Bradley Cooper watch over you, Funny, you can't get Taylor Swift you have to go to Bradley Cooper. Good for Bradley to go to a game. Now they didn't need to show him a hundred times. I'm saying doesn't have to be doesn't have to be Taylor Swift, Bradley Cooper, male, female, I don't care who it is. They all need to sh- need to see the celebrity eighty times a game. Trying to stay consistent on that, but they need to show him, need to show his reaction because it's not the same as any other person. Jake Elliott comes on the field, one of the most reliable kickers in the NFL, and he puts it through the uprights, and the game goes to overtime. Again, the clutch ability of the Eagles doesn't just stick with the quarterback. It goes to the, the place kicker, Jake Elliott, to make that. I don't, Tyler Bass is not making that kick to put the game in overtime for the Buffalo Bills because he missed two field goals during the game. It's just something about this Philadelphia Eagles team, their coach, Nick Sirianni, the vibe that they put out, they just know how to win. We go to overtime. Buffalo gets the ball. A great video from NFL films. Gabe Davis says, we want the football. Brandon Graham said, it doesn't matter, <laughs> which I love that chirp. Well, Buffalo's moving the ball effectively, running, checking down. Josh Allen with a beautiful scramble, uh, eluding Hassan Reddick on third nine. Then third down, he's looking for Gabe Davis, who had, had over 100 yards receiving. His best game of the season by far. They have a miscommunication, and the pass is not even close. And Sean McDermott, Former Philadelphia Eagle employee decides to kick the field goal to put them ahead by three. And it didn't matter. Because in the end, despite the fact that A.J. Brown nearly fumbled and they got stuffed a few times and their offense looks lethargic and they don't start in the first quarter. At the end of the day, Jalen Hurts saw an opening and he scrambled for a rushing touchdown and he became the first quarterback in NFL history to have at least 10 rushing touchdowns in his first three NFL seasons. He had another two rushing touchdowns yesterday. He has 11 on the season. The Eagles aren't doing it pretty. To me, Jalen Hurts is still hurt. I see it every time he takes off. He's not as fast. He's not as elusive. A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts haven't had a great connection over the last couple weeks. But yet they're winning. They don't have Dallas Goddard, one of the best tight ends in football. Lane Johnson not play at right tackle yesterday, and they still beat the Bills. That is a skill. Find a way to win the game no matter what you have to do. Survive and advance. I've mentioned this. They have a tough schedule. They still got to play the Cowboys again. They have the 49ers next weekend. So they're in the middle of a tough schedule. I think the Bills are a tough opponent despite the fact that with the loss, the Bills are now 6-6. Six and six. And very much could miss the playoffs this season. They likely will. With the schedule that's looming for them. But I I appreciate Jalen Hurts, and his numbers aren't gaudy. And while I don't think he's been the best player in the NFL this season, he will be in the MVP chatter. Because he's on the best team, with the best record, for the second straight year. If the Super Bowl was not a a neutral site, the Eagles would have hosted it last year against the Chiefs. Because they had a better record. Jalen Hurts was banged up for that loss against the Cowboys in Dallas last year. Gardner Minshew. The Colts quarterback was the starter. He, he lost only one game last year. He's only lost one game this season. And oddly enough, it was to the New York Jets. I think the Eagles, if they're going to get back to the Super Bowl, potentially win it, they need to clean some stuff up. Because while I don't consider their losses lucky, I don't consider them skillful or tactful. They just found a way. Which, broad strokes, is not a strategy. It's how it came to be. But it's not something you want down the line. You want to have a template. We start games like this. You don't want to be down 10 points at the half. Every game, which they have the last two weeks. AJ Brown seems pissed off. Doesn't seem happy all the time, yet they're winning. Can he be used more as a weapon? Can he have bigger games? Absolutely. He caught a touchdown yesterday, which was a big thing for him. Because I think he needed that. He needed that push. For the Buffalo Bills, you're 6-6, six and six. you're on your bye week, Josh Allen played great, but you still lost, you still make situational mistakes, interception to Bradbury was a bad one, Tyler Bass misses two field goals. It simply can't happen. When you put yourself in this situation, your margin for error is zero. The Eagles can play around because they're better than you and because they've only lost one game. The Bills are now staring down the barrel of missing the postseason. The great thing for the Bills is the teams in front of them aren't that good. Indianapolis Colts at 6-5. and five. Are they a great team? No. Denver Broncos. Won again yesterday. Russell Wilson's playing some good football. Their defense is starting to come together. The Broncos are... are Are a legit threat would be a playoff team, and I don't know if I'd want to play them. They have figured out their identity. They run the football. They turn it into play action. And they mitigate the mistakes from Russell Wilson. They are the opposite of the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo is let's give it to our quarterback. Hope he can make plays. Allow him to be Risky. And play careless football around him. And the Broncos have a better record at this point. The Broncos were 1-5. They're now 6-5 on an upward trajectory. Well, every time the Bills seem to get some momentum, they go two to three steps back. They'll be in there with... The Houston Texans, who we'll talk about who lost yesterday. I don't think the Bills are dead, but I think it's highly unlikely that they make the playoffs. Because can they beat anybody? Yes. Quite frankly, I thought they are going to beat the Eagles yesterday. But you come off a bye and you're in Kansas City. Then you host Dallas. Play the Chargers, Patriots at the Dolphins. Five games left. They won't be favored against the Chiefs at home against the Cowboys. I don't know if they'll be favored in that game. Chargers probably a pick them to the same team. Patriots to obviously be a heavy favorite, and then the Dol- at the Dolphins they won't be. So potentially a favorite in two of their final five games. While other teams get easier roads because they play easier schedules. For the Colts, you get to play your AFC South opponents, which aren't all that difficult. Including get to play the Titans. Broncos has some e- easier opponents down the stretch. I want to give some props to Sean Payton cuz he was taking a lot of bullets earlier in the season. He was scrutinized a ton. A lot of columnists in Denver were writing off Russell Wilson. And I think Russell Wilson's playing good football. He's not playing great football. That's a misnomer. Because he's being he's being told it's 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 dictated to him how the game's going to go. And he's running the game plan, which is no shame in it, but there's a difference. He's not a quarterback that, is, that makes things happen himself. He's not a Jalen Hurts. He's not a Patrick Mahomes in that sense. But the AFC wildcard race is interesting. Because the Broncos beat the Cleveland Browns yesterday. The Cleveland Browns had a brutal day. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, their quarterback... Got hit hard and left the game with a concussion. Playing a week? I don't think he'll play. I think it's unlikely he's on the field this coming weekend. P.J. Walker, I would go, quite frankly, I would go to Joe Flacco. I know he was just signed. He was in street clothes yesterday. That's who I would turn to if DTR cannot play. But also in the game, my MVP, Miles Garrett, heard something pop in his shoulder and reportedly was wearing a sling when he left the game. So your pseudo backup quarterback and your team's best player get dinged up in the same loss to the Broncos. Could a day go worse for your team? So I think the Browns, while being an interesting team, while being good despite the fact that their offense stinks, are vulnerable if Miles Garrett is not on the field. Because they cannot score points with anybody. Only bad teams in their own division. But other than that, they're winning games because their defense is dictating it. If Miles Garrett is not playing at an all-pro level, I don't see them winning many games down the stretch. So they become a team that can be had, which does help the Bills. But you got to win some of these games that you're expected to lose. That's the key here. And quite frankly, getting to nine wins might be enough in the AFC. We might look at it and go, that's not enough wins. It might be. That last team may have nine wins because a lot of teams are going to lose some of these remaining games. If you can find a way to win a couple, like the Browns are 7-4. and four, Win two more games, you might get into the postseason. That might be it. But credit to Denver. But Buffalo, you should have won the game yesterday. And you didn't. Simple as that. A game that could have been yours, you let it slip through your fingers. And that's got to hurt. But Josh Allen played great. He can take that home with him, back to Buffalo, but was not enough. It's funny. I'm watching the Chiefs game yesterday. Vegas scores a quick 14 points. Aiden O'Connell's throwing it all over the field, getting Jacoby Myers, Devontae Adams involved. And I go, okay, well, Kansas City's on their heels. In Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, there's no better quarterback in NFL history, in my mind, when a team's down 14 to 17 points. Because Mahomes just knows how to come back and they know how to win those games. Which is what they did yesterday in Vegas against a divisional opponent. You go through the weekend and you see Jacksonville win, you see Miami win on Black Friday. If Kansas City can put it together, if Kansas City can have Travis Kelsey playing the way he did yesterday, with Isaiah Pacheco running through the tackles, Rasheed Rice making some big plays, which he has the capability of doing. Kansas City can play with anybody, and they can go back to the Super Bowl. It might have been the light bulb moment for Kansas City to wake up and go, hey... We've had a pretty shit season so far. We are last in the NFL in second half points. We're not getting great offensive output. Our quarterback has been disappointing compared to his normal standard. But look around. Jacksonville wins, sure. Miami wins. But we've already beat those two teams. Baltimore, we always seem to beat. Why can't we be the number one seed again, get a bye, and get back to the Super Bowl? And they can. Kelsey looked like Travis Kelsey of old yesterday. In space, making big catches. He was all over the field. Rasheed Rice, Justin Watson, catching touchdown passes. Mahomes extending plays and making big throws. Kansas City committing more to the run game. All important steps. Buffalo did it yesterday. It helped their team. They didn't win, but they should have. Kansas City is doing it more. It's It's an important factor into getting better as a team. When you don't have the weapons, when you don't have the firepower, you need to be aware of your shortcomings, of what you don't do well. And I think Kansas City and Andy Reid, who's always been passing game, passing game, big plays down the field, we're going to throw the ball 40 times, run it 12. I don't think Kansas City's going to be able to do that. You have a back who's physical, who can run between the tackles and make the, the play action available for your offense. Not to mention... Cincinnati's toughest foe over the last number of years had been the Cincinnati Bengals. And Joe Burrows in street clothes the rest of the year. Cincinnati's not going to make the playoffs with Jake Browning. As good as Jamar Chase is, it's not going to matter. So if you're Kansas City, you're looking around going, who's going to beat us? Who in the AFC should we fear? Okay, the Broncos beat us a few weeks ago. We've won sixteen of the last seventeen meetings against the Denver Broncos. We've beaten Jacksonville four times in a row, including this season and in the playoffs last year. We beat Miami in Frankfurt, neutral site. We've beaten Baltimore in the past, and they've never been a great playoff team. Pittsburgh, okay, you're going to be scared of Pittsburgh. So when when you frame it that way. They're a team with a lot of faults, like a lot of other teams. But they have the capability of absolutely getting back to the Super Bowl. Because I saw it yesterday. It was a light bulb moment. We're down 14. We're the Kansas City fucking Chiefs. What are we doing here? How did we let this happen? How did we get so poor that the Las Vegas Raiders who fired their head coach a couple weeks ago and are playing a fourth-round draft pick of a quarterback who played at Purdue. They're beating us by 14? We can't allow that to happen. That's not right. That's not the worldview that we currently occupy. Kansas City is as threatening as anybody When they are put together. When they are all systems go. When they turn both keys and they let off the nukes, they are a threat. They just need to do it consistently because their defense is very good. And their defense is going to keep them in games. But you saw the progression. Yes, it's only the Raiders. The Raiders are 5 and 7 just like pretty near every team in the NFL. <laughs> every team is playing somebody 5 and 7 or 6 and 5. So what's the difference between playing the Raiders and playing the Colts? There's not much. You're playing the Raiders, or you're playing the Seahawks. Not a whole lot. A field goal here or there, a completion on 4th down. The fact remains, even though the Eagles are two games better than any team, any other team in the NFL, they're not a great team either. They're not perfect. They're not an elite team despite having one loss because they have their faults, but they overcome them better than any other team in the league, including Kansas City we might have seen the light bulb moment for Kansas City where they start to play like the Super Bowl champions, like the team that we know that they can. They didn't get any new players. They didn't panic. Don't go to the scrap heap to sign Jarvis Landry. They used the tools that they had, and they won a game on the road down 14. To me, that's impressive regardless of how good the Las Vegas Raiders are. You beat a divisional opponent on the road down by two scores. That's not easy. Kudos to them. I want to point this out. The Bills, the Raiders, and the Steelers have all made in-season firings. Bills fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. Raiders fired Josh McDaniels, head coach, but he's also the offensive coordinator, called the plays. And the Steelers this past week fired Matt Canada. They've all been successful. The Bills might be 6-6. Sean McDermott's still the head coach, and I think Buffalo's offense had their best day of the year yesterday. Josh Allen limited his mistakes. He threw a bad interception, but we went through it. He played well. He was surgical. He used his legs. He He was very good. The Raiders. Aiden O'Connell isn't perfect. I don't think he's their quarterback of the future or anything. But he's at least throwing the ball down the field to Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams, two pretty damn good receivers in the league. And and, uh, Pierce, the new head coach, brought some life to Vegas. They're playing harder. They seem more engaged. They weren't a good team at the start of the year. But he's got them to win a few games, to play hard against the Dolphins on the road, to battle against Kansas City. I'll take it. Then there's the Steelers. First week without Matt Canada, Mike Sullivan, new offensive coordinator. Tomlin came out and said, we're not doing this anymore. It's not acceptable. And the Steelers did steal our things. Deontay Johnson drops a touchdown in the end zone. On the very next play, Jalen Warren fumbles. Later in the game, Najee Harris fumbles the football. So you look at the score of the game between the Steelers and the Bengals, and you go, wow, the Steelers barely won this one. But I left it feeling optimistic about Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett played his best game all year, bar none. They only scored 16 points, but they put up 421 yards of total offense. Kenny Pickett threw for 278, which was a season high. And they used their weapons. Kenny Pickett, 24 for 33. 97.8 quarterback rating, best of the season. Najee Harris, 15 carries for 99 yards, 6 yards a carry. Jalen Warren, 13 for 49, 4 yards a carry. Pat Friarmuth had 55 yards receiving in 5 games. He had 9 catches for a buck twenty. in this one. They left some opportunities on the field. They should have scored more touchdowns. They should have had better results. But I think this was a step in the right direction. George Pickens was banged up. They got him the ball. Pat Friermuth throwing darts in the middle of the field. You saw what Kenny Pickett is capable of, and he has great weapons around him. And I talked about the AFC and the bad teams and just the bad quarterback play in bad situations, like the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh's own division, that they won't have to deal with anymore. Kenny Pickett's better than DTR or P.J. Walker probably Joe Flacco for that matter. They won 16 to 10 against a backup quarterback. That shouldn't happen. They made stupid mistakes which can't continue to happen. But at the end of the day, the Steelers are 7 and 4. Mike Tomlin put another gem on his on his trophy case with this season with the Steelers. But like it or not, they're still in the fight for the divisional crown with the Baltimore Ravens. They play the Ravens later in the season. You need to see it week over week. See this team continue to get better. But look at the Steelers. They got the Cardinals next weekend, Patriots at the Colts. Host the Bengals at the Seahawks, which isn't as tough a game. I I think the Seahawks are going downhill quick. And they finish at the Ravens. That game could be for a divisional crown. Because I don't think the Ravens are winning every game down the stretch. And I I think very well the Steelers could. Steelers could run the table. Rams, Jaguars for the Ravens at the 49ers Christmas Day. Host the Dolphins and then host the Steelers. Much tougher. The Steelers could screw it up. Absolutely. But I saw signs of it coming together. Not to mention TJ Watt's just a flat-out monster on that defense. Another two-sack game yesterday. Just him and Cameron Hayward on the field together with Alex Highsmith, they can get after any quarterback and make his day horrible. They're, they're an impressive group on that defense in Pittsburgh. Joey Porter Jr. has been very good. least a rookie corner, but he's playing tough. He had to battle against Jamar Chase yesterday, and Jamar had, Jamar had a good game. He kept Cincinnati in it. But it wasn't enough. You want to see that type of production week in, week out from the Steelers on that offense. But I saw signs of life and signs that they can, they can put up good offensive numbers and compete. Battle with teams. Not being outgained by 150 yards every weekend and expecting to win. Because it catches up with you eventually. But Kenny Pickett had life. He made some good he made some good plays. And the in Pittsburgh gets a win. A quarterback who lost yesterday. But you know the guy's going to be great for the next deck. He's doing it week in, week out. The Houston Texans have a stud in CJ Stroud. A stud. His offensive line was out to lunch yesterday, turnstile, a bunch of them got injured. The Jacksonville Jaguars, led by Josh Allen, feasted on C.J. Stroud. He got hit a ton. He had to run for his life, invade the pocket. He could have been sacked 12 times yesterday, but he did a really great job at feeling the pocket, stepping out of it, and avoiding some sacks. But he lost a game that down the stretch they could have won. But CJ Stroud sacked four times. He ran six times for 47 yards with a touchdown. 116 quarterback rating. He led the team in rushing. He's finding guys. I mean, he threw a ball on third and twenty-three to tank Dell down the field for 50 for almost 60 yards. And it comes back on a penalty. But there's nothing this guy can't do. Yesterday, Jacksonville was just a bit better. Their defense was better than Houston's. Houston's did not sack Trevor Lawrence once. They didn't allow him to run in the pocket. I'll give Houston that. But Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, both had big days. Luke Farrell had a big catch. Evan Ingram on third down. Jacksonville just currently has a better team overall than the Houston Texans. And I think Trevor Lawrence played well yesterday. I think the AFC South is going to have two good quarterbacks. One who went first overall, one who went second overall. But I like D'Amico Ryans. I'm not ruling out Houston making the playoffs. I don't think they have a great team. I think they have a great quarterback. And that's going to be a problem down the stretch because you're going to play good teams and see if if your great defenses can take advantage of that offensive line. C.J. Stroud has already figured it out, and he's a rookie quarterback. He's already playing better than half the league, and he's been in the league for five minutes. Making big throws. Avoiding costly mistakes. Having the the connection with another rookie in Tank Dell already. Tank Dell's a rookie. Xavier Hutchinson's a rookie. Nico Collins is a journeyman. Robert Woods has been around the league twice. And And he makes it work. With all of them. It doesn't matter. They didn't have Damion Pierce, their best running back, for the third straight week. And it's still a three point game against the Jags, who were in a divisional round last year against Kansas City. And credit to the Jags, you win a game on the road. That's impressive. But I left that game going, God, CJ Stroud is good. Jacksonville has all the components to compete with anybody in the AFC. Calvin Ridley's getting better and better by the weeks. Christian Kirk is there. They couldn't run the ball yesterday but ETN is absolutely a key factor. Evan Ingram is Mr. 3rd down. Jacksonville's a good team. Just like Miami, Kansas City, Baltimore, they're all kind of the same. The good thing for the Jags, Cam Robinson left the game yesterday, their left tackle. Haven't haven't heard any updates on him yet. Didn't look didn't play the entire second half, was crying on the sideline. So he very well could be done for a while. The Dolphins this weekend lost Jalen Phillips, one of the best pass rushers for the season. Playing against the the Jets on that MetLife field, blown out his Achilles. Daniel Jones did it at MetLife, Aaron Rodgers did it at MetLife, and now Jalen Phillips tears his Achilles at MetLife Stadium. Taking three prominent NFL figures, take their seasons away from them. That turf. The Dolphins win that game and you're happy, but if you're a Dolphins fan, you just want the wins at this point. Try to compete for the number one seed until you can. I want to talk about the Jets for a minute. To me, the existence of the sports fan is interesting how do you come to be a fan? You usually get it from your parents or you find some obscure team that you want to root for because your your friends don't even know about them. So you, you take that team. Grew up being a Maple Leafs fan. It was a sad existence. I didn't have many fun days as a Maple Leaf fan. I can't even remember a fun one. Maybe 04. That was a second round loss with Jeremy Roenick also grew up a Dolphins fan. Didn't have any fun moments because I never saw a good Dolphins team in my fandom in my life. Then I dropped all allegiances and now I don't care. But in my, when I was a fan, I didn't have a whole lot. Probably my best memory was seeing Dirk Nowitzki, my favorite NBA player, win, beat LeBron James, a.k.a. the Frozen one, in the 2011 NBA Finals. That was a lot of fun. It was also just as fun to see the Celtics not win, but that was my viewpoint then. But if you're a Jets fan, are there worse existences? Maybe Detroit. Detroit's been bad for a long time, but they have a glimmer of hope despite the fact that they blew away a, a game on Thanksgiving. Cleveland Browns have had a rough go. You're shit before. You've had over 30 quarterbacks in the last 20 years. Your your hope for a quarterback was a sexual predator. So that's, again, tough to kind of market. And then, but I still go back to the Maple Leafs to be in there. I go back to the Jets. Aaron Rodgers blew those Achilles in week one. And yes, it's brutal. But you knew the situation. You knew you had a good enough defense to compete, to still make the playoffs, in my opinion, with a suitable quarterback. And yet, despite that it's week one, you have more time than any other weeks to get it right, to bring in somebody to try to save your season, the New York Jets did none of it. They rode with Zach Wilson. He had some fluke performances where you beat the Eagles and he didn't even play that well in that game. He went two and a half games without a without an offensive touchdown as a team. And then you bench him for Tim Boyle, who somehow got in the NFL, who had a combined four touchdown passes in college. Playing at Yukon in Eastern Michigan. That Jets performance on Black Friday, I didn't watch all of it because I'm going back and forth between hockey games and college football, and that game is just so bleh. The Jets should be embarrassed that they put that on the field. It's not all Tim Boyle's fault. They they suited him out there. Shouldn't be shouldn't be on an NFL roster. But you had an opportunity to still make the playoffs. Look at how bad the league is. Look at that the Colts are six and five in some of these teams, and yet you are a joke. They're not gonna win a game again this season, in my mind. Maybe you get, no, they'll lose to the Patriots. May I dunno that Patriots Jets game that'll be poof so bad. But it's embarrassing. The way they've done this. Zach Wilson wasn't the answer. He's now third string. They've already announced Tim Boyle will start again this week. <laughs> Great. Trevor buying him. Carson Wentz is now with the Rams as a backup. He would have been a better decision. He would have been a better guy to bring into play. I said it the day after. So this isn't revisionist history. This is just... What I knew to be true. I still believe it. Josh Dobbs was available at the trade deadline. Minnesota had the for, had the thought to go get him. The pastor not. We can go get Josh Dobbs. Is he perfect? No. But is he better than Zach Wilson or Trevor Simeon or Timmy Boyle? Yeah. Joe Flacco. Was on the Jets for part of two seasons. You didn't give him a call? Bring him in? Practice squad? Get a look? He was playing better than Zach Wilson last year, for fuck's sakes. There are always options, and they didn't do anything about it. They made their season a joke. And now it's over, and all they can do as a franchise, to try to deflect and get people away from talking about how bad the season is in general is what they're doing this campaign alongside my boy Aaron Rodgers. Mr. Anti-Fauci. Mr. Truth to Power. Of when's he going to come back to play? Oh, he might go play Christmas Eve. He might practice this week. It's not going to happen. Because even if Aaron is healthy, the team doctors are not going to let him play if their season is out of reach and they have no shot of making the playoffs, which they won't. So I can appreciate the Jets trying to find something, trying to deflect, trying to find another way to frame this conversation. Not that, oh, we got Tim Boyle on an NFL field in 2023. What? But no, don't don't worry. Sure, it hasn't gone great so far, and we got embarrassed at home to the against the Dolphins, a division rival, and we threw a Hail Mary pick six, which is hard to do. Our our Lord and Savior Aaron Rodgers might be back in the third to last week of the season on Christmas Eve, guys. He might come play. Prove to everybody that he's better than science. Which I'm rooting for Aaron Rodgers to come back, but it's not going to happen. Because there's no. if they're 4-10, who cares? Why put him out there and risk injury three months after blowing out your Achilles? The risk is not worth the reward. To win a game to get a worse draft pick? At that point, just commit to Tim Boyle. Let him play out the season. The Jets could have done better. They could have salvaged the season and made them a more competitive team and at least been a wildcard card club. But Joe Douglas and the ownership group did nothing, and they deserve the blame for this. Robert Sala has to look at his depth chart and go, I have to either play Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, or Trevor Simeon. No option's a good one. They believed that Aaron Rodgers was going to play every game and Zach Wilson would be a good enough backup. They knew Zach Wilson was not a good enough backup last year. They benched him twice. And Mike White played better quarterback than Zach Wilson. So they were well aware... Of what Zach Wilson was capable of. And it wasn't enough to be competitive and it wasn't enough to make the playoffs. So if we're gonna bring in a guy who's 40, if something we're gonna hope nothing happens to him, but if something does, we're screwed and we're gonna do nothing to counteract it. If I'm Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, Quinnen Williams, a leader on that team, I'm furious. Because you just wasted one year of my career when we could have at least fought down the stretch to see what we could be with a Carson Wentz or somebody else like that who is better than the alternative. But no, we're just going to stick with the status quo, guys that we have on the roster. Tim Boyle's with the, with the Jets because he's good buddies with Aaron Rodgers. He can't play. He can't play. Couldn't play in college. And yet he got an NFL job. Old Tommy DeVito is better than Tim Boyle. Tommy DeVito, who got his <laughs> second straight win yesterday. Against the Patriots, somehow, some way, Mac Jones benched for like the fourth time this season. Other results yesterday: Falcons beat the Saints in a turnover fest, just errors all over the field. Derek Carr throws a pick six to Jesse Bates. Two interceptions by Desmond Ritter. He does throw a nice touchdown pass to Bijan Robinson b had two touchdowns on the day, finally giving him the ball in the red zone. NFC sells a train wreck. Saints 5-6. Falcons 5-6. Buccaneers 4-7. Carolina Panthers, who lost again yesterday to Tennessee. They're 1-10. And, ten. and David Tepper, who's had three head coaches since he came in. Fired Matt Rue last year, brought in Frank Reich, traded up for the first overall pick to get Bryce Young. There were reports yesterday it's not going well internally, growing frustration. And it very well could be Frank Reich one and done in Carolina. Another new head coach. They don't have their first round pick. It's going to the Bears. C.J. Stroud's playing unreal for the Texans. But Carolina's just, they find ways to lose. There was a game yesterday I thought they could compete and potentially win. But Tennessee gets the better of them. Colts edge the Bucs. Jonathan Taylor, a couple of rushing touchdowns. Gardner Minshew, like I said, they're now 6-5. and five. Thanksgiving. You had, I mentioned the Lions lose a game that they started slow. Jordan Love starting to play better and better football. An impressive win. Detroit went one for six on fourth down, including a really bad attempt on their special teams. Dallas beats up on the Washington football team. A huge fourth quarter. DeRon Bland had his fifth pick six of the season, which is now a single season NFL record. Dax playing great. CD Lamb. They look. They're they're firing on all cylinders. Big thing after that game is Ron Rivera fired Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator, who's been there for four years. And this is really the start of the beginning of the end for the Washington football team. New owners with Josh Harris and Magic Johnson and that group of people. Ron Rivera's been there a minute. You have a whole lot of cat space. It's. I think it's a job that you should want. I like Sam Howell. I think he can be worked with and he has the right guy with him. It can absolutely come together. In my mind. I like Terry McLaurin. They need to build a new offensive line. But they have the money to spend, they have ownership that are invested, they want to build a new stadium, I think it's an intriguing position, and it'll be, it'll be good for somebody. And we got breaking news here on the podcast. Just talked, oddly enough, I just talked about this. And wouldn't you know it, it comes true. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. One and done. Does Carolina Panthers have fired coach Frank Reich? Sources say moving on before his first season is over. Special teams coordinator Chris Taber is the interim coach and addressing the team now. Jim Caldwell moves to special advisor, working with the offense. I think he got a five-year deal to go to Carolina. So they're paying Matt Rule for the next three years, I believe, to coach at Nebraska and miss – not be bowl eligible. But they're playing part of Frank Reich's salary at Nebraska. Sorry, uh, Matt Rule's salary. And now Frank Reich, who is head coach in Indy, comes over to Carolina, gets fired before his first season is done. 11 games, they're 1-10. Bryce Young has not played good football. Hasn't been developing. There's a team without an identity. Yesterday, Bryce went eighteen for thirty-one, one ninety-four sack, four times, lost a fumble. To be fair to Frank Reich, there's the talent on this team is horrible. They don't have talent. Adam Thielen's their top dude and he's an aging player. Miles Sanders was a cast off from the Bills. He's your best running. Chuba Hubbard, I like I of course you like him. He's a Canadian. Played at Oklahoma State, was a good running back. But I mean, he had five catches yesterday, 14 carries. I mean, he's he's their top person on the offense. Check down happening. David Tepper loves firing people. Loves firing coaches. He's not afraid to do it. This gives him the chance to look around the league and find a new head coach. Before other teams can. Do the Raiders stick with Pierce? I don't think Carolina is that desirable of a job. Because... David Tepper fires people like crazy. The only thing is, if if you're going to get a long-term contract, you'll at least get paid if he fires you, like Frank Reich will. If you really like Bryce Young before the draft, maybe you'd want to go to Carolina and work with him. He looks really small in the NFL. Hasn't been as dynamic, not reading the plays as well. How much authority do you have with an owner like that who's so involved? Can I have to look at that and worry about it? It's kind of like working for the Dallas Cowboys where Jerry Jones has his hands on everything. And I know I wouldn't like that. You want to be able to do your job without somebody looking over your shoulder every second on every little decision that you make. David Tepper is clearly a guy who's not afraid to to make big decisions. To swing for the fences. But Carolina's in a bad, bad way, and you don't have your first-round pick, which is just soul-crushing for everybody involved. We're starting to see more and more firings in season. Two head coaches now fired in season in the NFL, Josh McDaniels and Frank Reich. I don't know where Carolina goes because they had a college coach in Matt rule. Didn't work. Go to Frank Reich, who's an NFL guy, quarterback's coach, and you fire him before the season's over. Do you go to a guy who's kind of established, who's been a veteran, of the, uh, as an NFL head coach, I'm trying to picture a guy who would be available. This name comes to mind, and I don't. I doubt he gets a job, but. And. He might have been canceled too much that he doesn't get, and canceled is the operative word, that he doesn't get a look. To me, David Tepper doesn't care about public perception. He does. He just wants to win. And they haven't done a whole lot of winning in Carolina since Cam Newton left. What do look at hiring John Gruden? John Gruden, who left Vegas, I think you need clearance from the NFL, but I think he could get that. He was never suspended. He was never told he can't coach anymore. They just decided to fire him in Vegas. Would Carolina look at that game just came to mind? He was starting to turn things around in Vegas to me, and that's when he was getting fired. And it's never really turned around since with Josh McDaniels at the helm. But he's a guy who's won a Super Bowl as a head coach. Yes, obviously was a college coach and had success there, but his last stint coaching was in the NFL. David Tepper might might love John Gruden because he's just a football guy and he loves every second of it. But I don't think it's going to be a college guy where that's an interesting hire. I don't think it's going to be a coordinator. I think he's going to be a person who has NFL head coaching experience and has done it for a long time and been successful. Frank Reich was a guy who had success in Indy, but to a certain extent, he never won a playoff game there. He worked with a lot of old quarterbacks, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, But ultimately never got them Jacoby reset. but never got them over the top. But the Panthers have the have the option to search first unless Vegas is already doing it. And not telling Pierce that they'll be moving on from him. Bill Belichick to Carolina? Dun dun dun. Don't see it, but maybe. He's going to be available. No doubt about that. He'll be available. But That's the breaking news of the morning. Carolina Panthers fire head coach Frank Reich after 11 games in the first year of his contract. Very quick trigger. I don't think Frank Reich ever wanted Bryce Young as his quarterback, and that might be part of this. Hopefully, he can get some help with the next coordinator that knows how to put a game plan for him. If that happens, I think he'll be successful. Cause he was damn good. I still believe he can be a good player. For Dan Orlovsky, talk about this a ton. Thing he's got a tough situation around him right now, but he can find somebody who believes in him. He can be successful. But that's what's happening in Carolina. Let's move to college football. This weekend was a wild weekend. The game, Ohio State-Michigan in Ann Arbor. Two great defenses. At times, J.J. McCarthy was extremely clutch for Michigan, making some big throws, including that touchdown pass to Roman Wilson. Getting big stops. Forcing Kyle McCord to have pressure on him and throw bad interceptions. The coverage on Marvin Harrison Jr. was He even said this, the best he's seen in, so far in college. And in the end, Michigan wins the game 30-24. to They had an eight-minute drive in the fourth quarter, killing clock, just running the football, picking up first downs. They can win in a variety of ways. They have Blake Corum, who has 22 rushing touchdowns on the season. J.J. McCarthy can make plays with his legs, and Michigan's just a physical group that knows how to beat Ohio State. They beat them three years in a row, completely changing the narrative on the rivalry. Ohio State used to own it, and they do not anymore. Ryan Day is 0-3 in his last three meetings with Michigan. Now, people saying that he should be fired after this game, completely ludicrous. He's been one of the most dominant, one of the best head coaches in college. He had to take over in tough circumstances for Urban Meyer. And he's beaten nearly everybody but Michigan. Now, he needs to figure out how to win that matchup or you're never going to have success. And the Big Ten's getting harder with Oregon and Washington joining your conference next year. But Ryan Day is a good coach, and there's not a better... Person out there to hire. So Ohio State's not going to be moving on from their head coach. Michigan survives the three games without Jim Harwell. He will be on the field coaching this Saturday when Michigan plays Iowa in the Big Ten title game, which Iowa won this weekend. And one of my, this is a degenerate bet that I made on Friday. Iowa, Nebraska, the over-under was 26. I took the under, as I tell you every week. Take the Iowa unders. They pay you money. I took the two quarterbacks to throw a combined – under a combined 200 yards passing, which hit. And I took Iowa plus 2.5, and, and they went into Nebraska and won the game. You look at Iowa on paper, 10-2 and two season. Really great team. Only should have one loss because they got gypped against Minnesota. But they're not. Their offense is putrid. They will get destroyed by Michigan – this Saturday, Iron Bowl, Alabama, Auburn. Auburn does what they do when they play Alabama. They play them tough, limit their offense, don't give them big opportunities, and it looks as though Alabama's dead to rights. Fourth and 31 after a bad snap and a tackle for a loss. Jalen Milro dodging people, running in the pocket. And he, off his back foot, he throws a dart into the back of the end zone. And Isaiah Bond jumps up for the touchdown. Fourth and 31, back of the end zone, and Alabama wins the game. Crushing for Auburn. Alabama stays alive in the hunt to make the college football playoff. They get to play Georgia next Saturday. Georgia had a tough game against Georgia Tech, did not cover, only winning by eight points. So Georgia, who's won 29 straight games, will put it on the line against Alabama. And Alabama, who had a brutal start to the season, losing to Texas, nearly losing to South Florida, Miller was playing better. He's yelling as he made that throw. Give me the damn Heisman. That's next Sunday afternoon in Atlanta. Bo Nix playing Oregon State. Another four-touchdown game for him. Plays fantastic. 31-7 to domination. And they lock it in that they're going to the Pac-12 title game. Washington, on the other hand, Washington survives like they did against Oregon State. Beat Washington State by three points on a walk-off field goal. They remain undefeated. And next Friday night, Oregon-Washington, if Washington can win that game, they will be in the college football playoff. I don't think they're going to win that game because I think Oregon's better. But the, Pac-12, the last Pac-12 title game ever will be Friday night. I think it's going to be a heavyweight fight between two really good teams with two great quarterbacks. Florida State. We know their situation. They're five in the country. Jordan Travis, their quarterback's out. Rotomaker's a backup. He comes in. They go to the Swamp to play Florida. Slow start to the game. Only score three points in the first half. But Florida State rallies. Rotamaker makes some plays when he has to. And Florida State goes on the road and wins a game twenty four to fifteen. Rotemaker only threw for one thirty four. Five point four yards per attempt. But Benson had three touchdown rushes, 19 carries, 95 yards. They escape with the win. That's all that matters for Florida State at this point. They get Louisville next weekend. Louisville lost to Kentucky. So they now have two losses. But if Florida State can win on Saturday, I don't see how they don't get in. You're an undefeated team. Doesn't matter that you don't have your quarterback. You beat everybody in your schedule. You beat LSU, who the committee really likes. You beat Miami. You'll have beaten Louisville, who will be a ranked team with only two losses. So that's what's happening there. But it's still a lot to be decided because the committee will be out tomorrow night. I think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. I believe Oregon is going to be five ahead of Ohio State. It'll be Oregon, then Ohio State, Texas, Alabama. Here's the thing. It becomes interesting. Michigan's going to win. They're they're beating Iowa. There's no threat. If Alabama can beat Georgia, then Georgia has a loss, and Alabama has one loss. If Washington loses to Oregon then Washington has one loss. Oregon has one loss. Florida state loses. They're done. It can get interesting if there's a couple losses next weekend, because then the committee would have to look and go. Oregon has one loss. Ohio state has one loss. Texas has one loss. Alabama has one loss, but they beat, they beat Georgia who have won the last two national championships and have won 29 in a row. And we're number one in the country. But how do we put Alabama in the college football playoff over Texas, who Texas beat this season? Alabama's only loss. So in that situation, do Georgia, Alabama, and Texas all go in? And you keep out a Pac-12 team? Which to me is bullshit. Because I think Oregon's better than Texas or Alabama, quite frankly. So, a lot of drama can still happen. There's a lot still to be decided in college football as we head into conference title weekend. We had some bloats. Texas won on Friday, 52 to 7. Oregon, 31 to 7. Penn State, 42 to 0 over Michigan State. Jeff Levy, who is the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, he's becoming the new head coach at Mississippi State. So they're hiring him. It sounds as though Texas A&M is going to hire a head coach sooner rather than later. It could be today. There was thought it was going to be Mark Stoops at, at Kentucky, but he said no. He said he's going to stay at Kentucky after getting a big win. That wouldn't have been the right hire. It's actually going to be Mike Elko, who is the head coach at Duke. Had a very successful year. at in some tough luck with the injury to Riley Leonard. But he's going to Texas A&M to take that job, replacing Jimbo Fisher. He's going to the SEC. Here's the thing. a and had no success in the SEC in a long time. You were having some success in the ACC because you're playing against bad schools, quite frankly. And Clemson had a bad year, and the University of Miami has been shit for a while. You're joining the SEC, and now Texas is joining, and Oklahoma. Alabama's still there. Georgia, if you hear here then. Ole Miss. Missouri, who's a top-10 ranked school. You have to deal with all those teams. You don't have to deal with that. In the ACC, you get that nice little Virginia Tech game. Or you get that nice against Virginia. Any of the the Virginias, you get those games. Or Wake Forest. Even a Notre Dame game isn't horrible. There's not a whole lot of cupcakes in the SEC other than the week before the last week of the season, you'll play UC Chattanooga and get a big win by 50 but beyond that scheduled game, there are not a whole lot of gimmies. So I understand Mike Elko is probably getting a massive pay raise to leave Duke to go to Texas A&M. Don't I don't begrudge him at all. But just know what you're walking into. You have to recruit better. You have to win more games. You have, just be aware of what is in front of you. A whole lot of pressure. A fan base that cares maybe more than any other fan base in the sport. And a fan base that has not won in a long time. But it did not take them long to fire Jimbo and bring in their new guy. Probably talk more about Frank Reich tomorrow because I see a lot of reactions and it's something. David Tepper wants to be the new Jerry Jones. That's that's really what's happening. What's happening here? He wants to be the new Jerry Jones, but we shall see. let to the NHL. Lots happening. I mentioned New York off the top. They're playing great hockey. Chris Kreider's already up to 13 goals in the season. Saturday scored a shorthanded goal and a power play goal, same game. He has, that's Chris Kreider to a T. work his ass off, and keep that team chugging along. They beat their division rival, the Flyers, and then beat Boston on Saturday afternoons. They had a very successful weekend. Injury news, Taylor Hall done for the season knee surgery. Tough news for Chicago. And they also have the Corey Perry incident. Nobody's talking about what happened. He's just not around. He's out for the foreseeable future, according to head coach uh, uh, Richardson. So, Luke Richardson. So, I don't know. With with Corey Perry and Milan Lucic, there's a lot of shit going on right now that you don't really get into in in the NHL. Leafs news, John Klingberg placed an LTIR. Sounds like a hip problem. This is good news long-term can be problematic short-term, and both can be true. John Klingberg's not a perfect player, but he's a body that you can put on the ice and can play 20-plus minutes a night. He might not play the minutes well, but he can play the minutes. Without John Klingberg, the Maple Leafs have to play 40-year-old Mark Giordano more minutes, which is a problem because it's not fair to him and he really can't do it, so it's a double negative. It makes William Laguson play more, Simon Benoit Overtaxing of TJ Brody potentially, so it's the trickle down, trickle down economics effect of just ice time and where are you going to put it? So short term, it's actually not a positive for the Maple Leafs, and they also lost twice this weekend. So, case in point. The positive angle to this: the Toronto Maple Leafs have 4.1 million in salary cap space to work with. John Klingberg's money, if he gets placed on LTIR, if he doesn't play again this season, which will be what happens. Internally, they'll give him all the options. They'll weigh it out. They do not want him to play again this year. At the very least, they do not want him touching the ice until the postseason because then the salary cap doesn't count and it doesn't matter. With $4.1 million freed up, the Maple Leafs can go get a defenseman or two worth 4.1 million bucks. It's quite simple. You can upgrade your defense. You can improve your team. How you do that's a whole other thing. Teams are not going to trade a T-bone steak for a bag of fries just because of the Toronto Maple Leafs and they need help. I know Leaf fans on Twitter have a hard time grasping this concept, but it's... Just the truth. You're not going to trade Nikita Zadorov for a bag of skim milk. The Calgary Flames are not going to give you Chris Tanev just because they feel bad for you. And Tree was the former general manager in Calgary. That's not how business works, and that's not the way it will go down. Trades need to happen, and they need to be fair value shared on each side. And while I think Chris Tanev would be a welcome addition to the Maple Leafs, and while I was, if I was Toronto Maple Leafs GM Brad Living, I would be trying to get Zadorov and Tanev on my team together in a respective trade. I'm not sure Calgary's ready to do it. They're competing. We've been through this. So I don't think Calgary's a great team. They have a really tough schedule going in, just uh, remaining until Christmas. So I think they'll learn quite quickly where they are in the pecking order. Where they sit. So we'll see there. But despite the fact that the Edmonton Oilers have been a complete joke, they are only four points ahead of them. So they haven't been great. The Edmonton Oilers are only six points out of a playoff spot with two games in hand on the Seattle Kraken. So things can happen. And looking at the Western Conference, there's a lot of bad teams. Ducks aren't a good team. Calgary, not a good team. Arizona. Eh. Predators are a 10 and 10. Kudos to them. Also, kudos to them for not playing any overtime games. I give them more credit for that than actually being 10 and 10. Blackhawks, Stink, Sharks are abomination. Minnesota might be the most disappointing team in the NHL. So Calgary can look at themselves and go, we could maybe make the playoffs, which they could. But they're not going to. So they will sell. But it's about finding the right trade, finding the right pieces. I think for Toronto, looking at the John Klingberg injury, I'm just equating Tanev Zadorov to Toronto. Nick Robertson playing good hockey is a good thing for Toronto because you want him to be a trade chip. I don't think the Maple Leafs want to trade Easton Cowan. They do not want to trade uh, Fraser Minton, who both will likely be on the Canadian World Junior team in less than a month. So knowing that information, knowing you want to keep those prospects because you want to keep your prospect pool loaded. Nick Robertson is a guy teams might take a flyer on. You might not want to trade your first-round pick because you might want a bigger deal down the road. Again, finding people that teams like, building up a prospect, putting them on a third line, seeing them have some production, that can be all good things. Because again, you're not trading crap for a diamond necklace. It's just not going to happen. There needs to be, not to mention, what's nice about this trade for the Maple Leafs, you have 4.1 open up, so you don't have to move money out if you don't want to, which would make the trade for Calgary better. Because you're not taking on bad contracts. You're taking on expirings. Calgary might retain some money if they know... That they can get something better in return. Topinimala, defenseman in the minors, Nick Robertson potentially, a guy who's now a NHL player, quote unquote. And there have to be something else in the deal, not something else of interest to the Calgary Flames. What that would be, I don't know. Because players on the Maple Leafs roster right now, number one, when you're competing, you don't want to trade them. But if you're willing to offload somebody, it has to be somebody of substance. It has to be somebody that can bring you something. Nick Robertson is not going to be enough for those two defensemen. Because Nick Robertson, to me, is not an NHL player. But again, that's just one man's opinion. First rounder, Nick Robertson? Maybe. Then we're talking. Because the Leafs don't have a second round pick. Because they traded it last year. Just some thought. Food for thought. As we go through this. But short-term, John Klingberg's injury is not a good thing. As bad as he's been. Long-term, likely will be. Because you'll get... I think you get two players for his money that will be better than John Klingberg. It was a bad signing in July. And it's unfortunate that you see a guy get injured. But it's actually a good thing for the Maple Leafs because he's not... You get rid of the problem... You don't have to trade them away. It's not a salary dump somewhere at the trade deadline. We'll see. What else? Yeah, the team, Maple Leafs just didn't play well. I mean, they play at times, they did this weekend, but they find ways to lose games. I talked about this. are going to be a lot of games where they give up scoring chances. They get a lot of scoring chances. I look at their top line, Matthews, Marner, Nice. It's not working for me. They're not getting enough scoring. Mitch Marner's had a really slow start to the season. He's not playing great hockey. They got Florida tomorrow. Florida's a good team. They're a tough team to play against. So that, and they will get Florida back to back as Florida's in Ottawa tonight, so they do have that advantage. Let's see. Patrick Kane talked about that at the beginning. I think Patrick Kane's going to make a decision pretty quick here. He said he wanted to spend Thanksgiving with his family, then make up his mind. I thought before the season, the Colorado Avalanche would be the team to scoop him up. Colorado could win a Stanley Cup. They have Nathan McKinnon, Ranton, and they have all the tools to do it, right? He could be a mentor of sorts to Jonathan Duane and help him. Duane scored a beauty of a goal over the weekend. That would be a fit. But since backtracked and I'm starting to think about the league and go, who could – Colorado could still win a cup. I predicted that they would before the year. So it's a fact, though. I believe in the team. But I don't think Patrick Kane's going to go to Colorado. He played in the Central Division for a long time, then got traded to New York. I think he's going to stay on the East Coast. No reporting on this, just a gut feeling. I think Patrick Kane's going to sign with the Florida Panthers. That's what my guts telling me. They have a team that can compete in the Eastern Conference and could get back to the Stanley Cup, absolutely. They got brute force, toughness, skill, a solid back end, and they have the they have the know-how to get there because they did it last season. Matthew Kachuk, Reinhardt, Haggy on the wings. Patrick Kane can come in and help that team. Add some more skill. Improve the power play. Be a great passer and not be asked to be the hero for the Florida Panthers. It would be the same thing with Colorado. Those would be my two leading front runners right now to get the services of Patrick Kane. The outside shot is Detroit. Because Detroit's a damn good hockey team. Damn good. Way better than I thought they'd be. I really enjoy watching them play. They're currently third in the Atlantic. Tied for second with Florida. Slightly ahead of the Maple Leafs and the Lightning. Those teams have games in hand. But I watch the Detroit Red Wings. They have balanced scoring. They're getting solid goaltending. Their power play is completely off the hook. Shane Goss' fair had four points yesterday. Three of them coming on the power play. David Perron is a veteran who's been there. Dylan Larkin. Lucas Raymond's getting better and better. Daniel Sprong, one of my favorites. They have seven D that they cycle in and out that can play NHL minutes. Alex Lyon, who's, who was sitting on the on the bench the first couple weeks, being just being a third goalie, has played three games and he's been unreal. He play. He got Florida to the playoffs last year when Bobrovsky was hurt. Detroit brought him in as a number three, and he's emerging as their number one. It's a long season. They've only played a quarter for Detroit. A lot of these teams are coming up at the quarter mark, playing 20 games. But they're 11, 6, and 3. They're competitive every night. They're fast. Lightning, Maple Leafs, good teams. Absolutely. Capitals are a mirage to me. You have the Islanders in there, the Penguins, the AARP Penguins, who have been up and down all year. Buffalo inconsistent. Ottawa has only played 16 games. They have a lot of games to make up after going to Sweden having time off. But I could see Detroit luring Patrick Kane over to play with them because they got a young team, and they could be a playoff team this year and compete. But I'm going to go with the Florida Panthers because I just think they had the firepower. and the, the, he, That's the place to go, 100%. That was a lot today, a lot to dive into. Tomorrow on the podcast, I'm going to react to a Monday Night Football game between the Bears and the Vikings, which isn't all that sexy, but it is an important game for the Vikings if they want to stay in the playoff hunt in the NFC. Bunch of interesting games in the NHL: Florida, Ottawa this evening. Colorado playing Tampa in Colorado, Vegas in Calgary. React to all that. There was just a signing in Major League Baseball, which I'll we'll keep till tomorrow. Some news in the MMA world that happened over Thanksgiving. So that's all forthcoming tomorrow on the podcast. Hope you guys all enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This to the point.